Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know why, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the maternal, mature, and meticulous Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? It is good to have you back, Chris. I missed you. Uh, how was the conversation with Teos? It sounded pretty good. I think it went pretty well. I think uh, Teos is a great guest to have on. He's got a lot to say, very well spoken. Uh, but it feels like I haven't talked to you in like two months, and it's only been two weeks. So I know, right? And it's not like we don't talk to each other online. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, how was Pack South? Pack South was pretty good. Pretty good. It was different in the sense that it was really the first show I've gone to that wasn't a, an RPG, you know, a tabletop RPG show. Uh, so there was a lot more video game stuff, which I'm interested in, but not a huge, you know, fanatic for. Uh, so, and there weren't a lot of people I knew there. Well, that's weird. Um, yeah. So, but my uh, my wife and daughter went with me, and downtown San Antonio was pretty cool. There's a neat touristy river walk part that you can just walk walk around uh, downtown, and the Alamo is right there. It's like a three minute walk from the convention center. So we got to see the Alamo, and my wife's a history teacher, so that was. Very cool for her. She picked up some teaching uh, stuff. Nice. And and so, the, you know, as as a convention, it was pretty cool, um, but not as cool for me as gaming conventions. However, one cool thing did happen, which is why I went in the first place. Yeah? Why don't you tell me about it? Well, as has been announced, um, Wizards of the Coast and Penny Arcade are joining forces to create a D&D Acquisitions Incorporated D&D product. And I was lucky enough to be one of the many people that got to contribute to that product, as did uh, Teos. It's too bad that you couldn't talk about it last week, right? Yeah, since he was on and everything. but I mean, technically you could have talked about it because it dropped, the episode dropped, you know, the week after. But, you know. Yeah, but even <laughs> even as we were even as we're, we were recording, we weren't sure what the status of the announcement was. So it was something that you know in the industry, there's just some things you can and some things you can't talk about, and that was one of the things we couldn't talk about until we could. And even now, we can't say much about the product. Uh, there's going to be a lot more revealed in the coming months leading up to its release. Uh, and if you are someone who goes to PAX East you can count on there being more information released there about it. Well, that's exciting. So we only have to wait until, what, March? Yep. And they're they're hoping for a summer release. That was what was announced uh, at, the, at the show. So uh, there's some information out there. We've got a link to one of the articles. But, you know, if you just uh, look up Acquisitions Incorporated Dungeon Guide, you will see... Lots of articles about it and some interviews with uh, Jerry Holkins, Omen Dron of Acquisitions Incorporated, <laughs> who shares a little bit more uh, you know, about what, what will be in it and what's going on with it. Well, when we know more, we'll have Teos on to talk with you about all of that good Acquisitions Incorporated stuff. You got it. 
All right, let's talk about Winter Fantasy. I mean, we're doing announcements, everybody. Like, that's what we do. We're going to talk about uh, D&D Beyond later. But, you know, I, I, I eased us into the show in a very strange way today. Mm-hmm. It's okay. So let's talk about Winter Fantasy. It's not very far away from this recording date. That's true. Uh, as we record, it is exactly two weeks away. And so when the show drops, it will be exactly one week away. So if you are in the Midwest, in the Fort Wayne, Indiana area, and you would like to get your game on, there is tons of games to be played, lots of Adventures League stuff, other D&D or 5e gaming goodness is there. Um, I will be there pretty much the whole time, so if you see me stomping around, say hey, and uh, maybe we can sit down and grab a drink or some food and, and talk talk gaming. There you and go. That's pretty cool. Most most importantly of all, Chris Nizak's uh, Moonshay Isles adventure will be there. Yeah, yeah, the Temple of the Beast, right? Yep. So just just for for people who, who uh, at, were asking about or wanted to know about the Five Temples of the Earth Mother adventure, when the DMs Guild first came out, that was the first thing we put up. Yes. And there were supposed to be other Temples of the Earth Mother covered in later adventures. And between some delays and then the news that Bald Man Games was going to be creating official Moonshade Isles content, uh, we decided to hold off. So if you are a fan of that first five temples of the Earth Mother adventure, the next three temples are going to be the next three adventures uh, that come out for Bald Man Games. And so those will be available you know, after um, Winter Fantasy and probably after, say, Origins, but, but sometime within the next six months or so. That's pretty cool. I'm glad that yep. they finally got out there. Yep. So for the, everybody that's been waiting, they're coming. Sorry that it took so long. Yep. Hopefully it'll be worth the wait. Yeah. Uh, next thing. What are we talking about? Uh, lots of discussion on oh. pirating and creating. Oh, what, what else? Oh, I was just going to say that's that was the next thing. Oh, go ahead. Um, yeah, this is something that always comes up in spurts. But within the last week or so, there has been a lot of discussion online, you know, Facebook, Twitter, but also just among uh, game designers and developers about pirating, about, you know, the cost of creating RPG content versus the amount of money that you can get for, for publishing it. And even just within the last, like, two hours, James Intracasso put up a uh, an article on his World Builder blog called We Need to Change the Way We Think of RPG Products. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, among all of the conversation, MT Black put out some pretty detailed information about how much it costs to make what he um, what he makes, what the average per word rate for writers is, you know, how much artists get, and so on. Uh, Alpha Stream Teos has had an article up for like three years now, almost about what is an adventure worth that he updates continually. Yeah, I just read so it again. Lots of Yep, there's lots of great information flying around. Um, like there, there was another one that came up on, on Twitter about, you know, if you if you run a six thousand dollar Kickstarter for an RPG product, how much are you really making? Not much, depending. Right, exactly. Hey, uh, I mean, we can talk to this. I can actually talk to this. Like, I just did this, right? Right. Like, I mean, if do you want to take a few minutes? I mean, I will. Sure. I'll lay it all out for everybody. I don't care. Sure, lay it all out for us, um, Chris. So, at Encoded Designs, we just finished kickstarting the Streets of Avalon. It was really successful um, by by our standards. Like, we uh, had thirteen thousand seven hundred dollars. That was uh, more than we were looking for. Um, we budgeted out our artist. Um, 
and it was uh, something like, what, with all the stretch goal stuff in there too, it was something like, uh, last time I looked, it was $2,800 or $3,000 for just art. Mm-hmm. So there you go. That's that. Um, we paid our writers because uh, some I did some I did a fair chunk of the writing myself, and I'm not getting paid for that. Like we get paid for that on the back end, based on right. our risk. In fact, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, mm-hmm. But like Brett and uh, Aaron Flanagan, we paid them. Uh, what Brett took a bit of a pay cut for royalties in the back end. That was part of the deal. So mm-hmm. uh, he got. He's getting $1,200 for all the stretch goal writing and his uh, initial writing, and Aaron's getting mm-hmm. 300 for her con- contributions. Um, mm-hmm. So that leftover money is f- is essentially ours, right? Like, you know, for uh, for our effort and for, you know, us being the publisher. So we only set a $3,000 goal, though, basically to pay our artists. And our, we didn't have as much art until stretch goals came in. Sure. Um, to pay our artists, our artists and our writers, like... If we would have only hit the funding goal of like $3,000, we wouldn't have gotten paid anything. Right. Now, we being the people at Encoded Designs who did the work. Correct. I mean, we still would have been on right. the hook to make the book and we would have made it. But right. um, we also don't. We also have a, a different business strategy can, in, in some ways because like we can take on a lot of that labor. But let's let's be realistic. Like we have actually a number in there for ourselves for what we think is um, what we should getting, be getting paid for this book. Like. We were like, Sean, how much does it cost to edit a book this size? It was like 25,000 words or something like that. And Sean gave us a number. It was like, it's like $300 or $400 or something like that. And uh, we have a layout person on the team that's like, how much would it cost to lay out, do graphic design work and stuff like that for a book like this? Mm-hmm. And he gave us a number. It was in there too. But when you calculate all that stuff up, it's more like $8,000 to make the book. So that, right. And that's just to get paid not a lot of money, like minimum wage right. essentially. Yeah. So we did better than that. And, you know, there's some costs that we didn't factor in. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't factor in marketing. Um, we didn't right. factor in some um, some other things like some graphic design work that some of the other the rest of us needed to do. Um, some right. other art pieces that we needed to make. Luckily, we do things like we create a reserve. So, like, we're not making a lot of money per hour on this stuff. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, so it's it's tricky, right? Like, you have to do a lot of math. It's a lot of... Uh, it's a lot of not a. It's all about. So so that's how we make. That's how we made this thing. Like that's how we put mm-hmm. this stuff together. And we're still making it, of course, because you know Kickstarter. Um, Teos's article is really interesting, talking about equating it to minimum wage and mm-hmm. um, hours of effort put into an adventure, into writing, into role playing games. Right. And James Dercasa talking about the way that we think about about role playing game products. So like mm-hmm. we're super lucky because we have a team, right? So we split up the work. Yeah. Like, yep. it help, and, yeah. helps a ton to have John Arcadian who can make the video. Because that video in right. and of itself is like a $1,000 project if I were to, right. if I were right. to go if, out and if, buy that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, Teos in his article is talking about writing for, like, the Adventures League for, for several of his products. Mm-hmm. So that's there's, there's not a lot of layout involved there or art or any of that um, stuff. You may have to deal with them like creating your own map but you're not going to go out and pay someone to create a map for your adventures league product but he talked about um, uh, an art uh, an adventure that him and eric mengi put out where they did buy art and things like that and how that, that actually that's true yeah and how splitting the profits and things like that impacted them even more um yep. and how much time he spends on that stuff and he spends like 40 hours on a particular adventure um yep i think it's fascinating because of the way that people look at role-playing game products. Like, even in the comments on James's article, 
I was looking at it. So, like, role-playing game products aren't books. I, I think that's accurate. Mm-hmm. We need to stop thinking about them as just yes. being books. Like, you were not just paying for the book. You were paying for a right. game. You were paying for all the development work that went into that game. You're not paying... There, there's a lot more effort that goes into a role-playing game book than goes into a novel. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Sean, you can right. attest to that, right? I Yes, I can. And not, that's not saying a lot... That's not saying novelists don't put a lot with editing and proofreading and research or w- whatever they're doing Correct. a lot goes into yeah, it not, but I'm a not, lot more does go into I'm, rpgs yeah, i'm not right. i'm not i'm not i'm not saying that one is they're two different things is what i'm actually right. saying so we shouldn't think about exactly. them in the same way as far as price goes that's exactly right um, i think that james is way more on the right track thinking about them like video games or like board games right and uh, if i'm going to be perfectly honest as much as i love board games and i do like a role-playing game book and the rules and the effort that goes into putting that together um as, as far as like the development side of it and, and rules and things like that is more complicated than a board game because board games usually have a pretty tight mm-hmm. core loop of mechanics to them and they kind of function mm-hmm. now um that's not to say that i don't love me some board games like i just got done playing a game called stuff fables this past weekend and it was amazing it's like a board it's a mm-hmm. It's a game that you play on a oversized storybook, and one side of it's mm-hmm. the board where you put the miniatures, and the other side of it's got all the, the the material to to help you move through the game like a choose your own adventure in a lot of ways. And it's a cooperative board game, and you're playing little stuffed animals that are trying to protect your uh, your sleeping girl who just went from her crib to her big girl bed. It's a wonderful, beautiful nice. game. The, it's an expensive game. It's like a ninety dollar board game, right? And it makes sense because of all the plastic and the manufacturing that goes into it. Um, and mm-hmm. the development on that, like that's essentially a role playing game. Like I could see why that costs so much money, but still, a mm-hmm. game book like D and D that costs fifty dollars for the player's handbook and fifty for the monster manual, fifty for the the dungeon master's guide. It's actually really cheap for what those books mm-hmm. um, are in their their uh, in essence. Like those should really be ninety mm-hmm. to one hundred dollar books based on the effort that went into them. Right. But the market wouldn't yep. actually bear that, right? Exactly. I mean, people complain for about a $40 book. Correct. So, so charging for $90. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I saw in the comments was somebody was like, I guess I can see the, I mean, the book is 300 pages, the player's handbook, and it costs $50. Mm-hmm. Volo's guide is only 200 pages, and it also costs $50. I'm like, I'm sorry you missed the point. Yep. Volo's guide is actually a $50 book. The player's handbook mm-hmm. is actually a $100 book. But... Yep. They can't sell it for that, and they can sell it at volume, and it's going to sell many, many more copies. So you can recoup your costs based on volume. That is a thing that people yep. don't understand about um, about about game books. Like if you have an audience, like right. that's the thing about this this indie role playing game industry that me and Sean tend to work in. Like if you have an audience, it will really help offset a lot of the the problems with uh, of like profit margins and things like that that people hear about. Like with mm-hmm. like Taos was talking about it, like. There's just not a lot of sales for that smaller stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you start right. getting into twenty and 30,000 units of sales, we're changing the way that we're looking at this now. Because now there's actually money that we can use to set aside for things that might go wrong and for future products. Mm-hmm. But yep. we don't have that luxury. Man, this is a really yep. long little thing. But I really, when I read these, I'm like, oh, yeah, like this is the thing that we deal with constantly. Right, Sean? Right. And it's, you know, Teos and James have both said, you know, it's a matter of of educating the consumer to understand what goes into these things, why the industry is the way it is and why you have game 
designers, you know, who have been designing games for 30 years who are doing GoFundMes to pay for their medical issues um, because they just don't have the the cash. They don't have health insurance. They don't have any of this stuff because the industry is not supporting that. Well, the industry is too small to support that. Right. I mean, exactly. That, that right. is essentially what I'm talking about here. Like, no, yeah. no novelist is going to survive on selling a thousand units of their book. Sure. No. Yeah. And that's what I mean. The the industry itself, the size of it doesn't doesn't support, um, you know, what many, many, many other industries do. Yeah. Which is, you know, full time paying gig. Yeah. And more than, you know, and, and some sort of reasonable cent per word. <laughs> like, right. Five cents per word is not actually reasonable. I hate to say it, it just isn't like I mean, that is like yeah. the minimum that I'll write for for certain people these days. But that's even yeah. not very good. That's 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 no. pathetic, actually. Um, yeah, it, it it is. But again, it's what the industry can bear, you know, based on what people are willing to pay for a product that's worth much more than they're willing to pay for. Correct. I agree with you. hundred percent. And and, and 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 the other side of this is piracy, which can be summed up with uh, if you pirate material, go screw yourself. Yeah, I. Uh, um, uh, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, like I'm trying to figure out how I want to phrase this. I mean, yes. Well, right. see, see, I'm I'm one who normally phrases things very carefully, looking at all sides of the issue. And if you're pirating RPG material, go screw yourself, uh, because it's not a necessity. It's not food, right? Yeah. It's it's something that you want to do for fun. And there are other things that you can do for fun if you can't take the time to spend a dollar on the, on the DMs Guild to buy a product. It's that's right. true. Like, the, right? There are there are certain things like. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we can go into all the well. They don't have it in the format I like, so I'm going to pirate it. Then you just don't get it. But, but when it comes to role playing game material, yeah, I'm. The piracy part of it. Yeah, it sucks, right? But to me, the bigger part of it is that there's not enough of an audience. Because none of us know how to market this stuff. Or maybe there's no, just not well, enough. That, 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 that has nothing to do with piracy, though. Yeah, I mean... Right, the size of the market doesn't have anything to do with, with piracy. If something's there and you, you're not willing to pay a dollar for it, but you'll get it for free on some website, that has nothing to do with the size of the market. Uh, that has to do with you not being willing to... Take the effort, I guess, because it's more about effort if it's a dollar that you're not paying. I'm just saying I know um, that there's plenty of people out there that pirate the D&D books, too. Oh, I know. That's the Yes, I know. So, I mean, is there a, I mean, when you, is there a difference between pirating from a giant corporation and pirating from an individual sole proprietorship publisher? Like, I don't know. No. Like, or, is there? I mean, is, it, is there a difference in, like, streaming something illegally on your phone that is, like, a, from a mega, a mega, um like Cartoon Network or something like that? Well, you know, is it is it stealing if you steal a, a dollar out of a cash register at a store versus stealing a million-dollar painting? I mean, the difference is only in scale, not in the crime. I mean, true. Uh, th that's that's the semantics debate, right? Like the, 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 the ethics debate, I suppose. It's, okay. it's, it's a weird thing. Like, I'm with you. Like, I don't think people should pirate at all, but I... I know plenty of people who are poor that still need some semblance of entertainment in their lives in some way, shape, or form. It's not super easy to get all the time. Yeah, and you can go on D&D Beyond and get the free... Yes, you uh, can. That's the thing. Like, there are plenty of free free stuff out there that you can just get to play. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that is the probably the better 
counterpoint to let's that I, I should be making to don't pirate stuff because there's plenty of free stuff out there. Yep, and there are libraries, and there is Wizards of the Coast customer support where you say, "Hey, here's my situation. What what, what solution should I have?" And uh, yeah, because if you can afford the internet to go on and pirate stuff, uh, you know, chances are that you can use your email to reach out to companies to say, here's my situation. How, how would, how would you handle it? And maybe they can point you to places that have the rules, have the books for free or for lending or whatever. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, okay. As you can see, as you can tell, I'm a little bit pumped up about this issue. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm, it's a thing, right? Like it's, it's one of those things that like piracy exists in the world and it's just going to happen. So, um, I mean, we could shut it like people could try to shut it down, but it'll probably never happen. No. Um, right. Oh, I know. I understand that. Also, if somebody's pirating your material, that means it's actually relevant in some way, shape or form, <laughs> which is always good. Possibly okay. like the, there's all that stuff. There's it's a it's it's a whole giant topic, actually. Uh, me and Mark, sure. me and Mark Napick on Misdirected Mark used to have this argument mm -hmm. all the time. And I really mm -hmm. used to be in your corner. And then I started looking into it and I'm like, piracy is bad, but sometimes piracy doesn't suck because it leads to better spread of your stuff, especially when nobody knows who the hell you are. Heck you are. Mm -hmm. So it's it's one of those weird things, right? Like you're you're wrong. You're right. It's it's stealing which is bad, but it also could have some residual benefits, even though people are going to, because people are going to probably do it regardless, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that is one of those, I'm with you though. It's, it's, it's one of those like, er, somebody took my thing, but then like, maybe somebody will buy my thing. Like, uh, let's move on. <laughs> let's. Wizards <laughs> of the Coast attendance at shows in 2019. Yep. This just went up on the wizard site moments ago. Uh, so I grabbed it. Every year, Wizards tells uh, their fans where they're going to be at shows in 2019. And so since the list was up, I grabbed it, and I would let everyone know that they are going to be at, or in this case, were at PAX South. They will be at Emerald City Comic Con in March, at PAX East in March, at GaryCon in March, uh, at D&D &D in a Castle sometime this summer, uh, San Diego Comic Con in July, an online, I'm, I'm assuming this is an online-only thing called Founders and Legends on July tw uh, 27th. That will be at PAX West at the end of August. New York City Comic Con in October. At TwitchCon with the date yet to be determined. At PAX Australia, which is usually in our fall, Australia's spring. Um, at GameholeCon at the end of October. And last but not least, PAX Unplugged. With that date to be determined, but it's usually at the end of November. So two things I noticed is Gen Con is missing, which it has been for the last few years. So no big surprise there. But the other was that they will not be in full force at Origins. Okay. And yeah, go ahead. No, finish. Oh, I just wanted to let people know that despite that, Bald Man Games will still be there. Will still be running D and D as they have been at Origins for the last however many almost twenty years it seems like now. So, uh, just because Wizards of the Coast won't officially be there does not mean that D and D and Adventures League will not be running because it will. Now, the thing that I notice about this list is that eight of these conventions are not role playing game specific conventions. 
this or is even true. board game specific conventions, which yep. I the think only... is in super intelligent. Right. The only two that that I see right, uh, Gary Khan is is basically role playing based, and uh, and uh, Game Hole Con. Yes. Is the other ones are more uh, well D and D in a castle is it's not really a con. It's not really a <laughs> it's convention, more of an event, right? Right. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's an event that you have to go to Europe to be in. I think. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, you're absolutely right. So what they're doing is they're putting their marketing resources into places where they are going to acquire fans rather than support existing ones. Way smarter. Like, this is the Venn diagram yep. overlap that people should be thinking about once your brand is at a point where it actually is a, more of a household name again, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Like, time to go get all those and comic fans and those board game fans and those video yep. game fans and, and try to get more and more of those people into the D&D &D thing. And I, I have a feeling that this list will grow because I know someone like um, Chris Lindsay will be at other conventions other than these. I know he will be at Winter Fantasy. And I think he's going to a couple uh, of gaming-specific conventions in Europe. Uh, so, you know, this is a partial list, but it, it was interesting to see that sort of marketing effort evolve over time. No, I think it's great, right? That is a... Oh, yeah. If we're going to go with the theory that a rising... Uh, what is it? A rising tide? Right. Lifts all boats. Lifts all boats. Then this is this is good for role-playing games in general and this pseudo-industry that is only really an industry in in some strange ways. Like, yep. <laughs> only certain companies really make it the industry. Yep. The rest of us are just sort of like, like well, well, we'll just keep trying. Yep, exactly. Uh, so, you know, those shows are there, and if you are in any of those areas, uh, I'd love to see you at some of them. I know I will be at many of the PAXs if I can, uh, as well as some other events. Okay, let's get to our uh, main topic after that really long announcement phase. But it's your fault, Sean. You brought up an interesting thing. I blame you. Nah, I'm sorry. It won't happen again. <laughs> it happens like once a month, man. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's happening once a month for like three years. All right. <laughs> We're going to talk about D&D &D Beyond by Curse. Go ahead. Yeah, so over the years, D&D &D has had some really great digital tools. Third edition, fourth edition. Um, it also, it's also had some terrible digital tools. Yes. And in some cases... There's been no lack of vaporware that was announced, but then never came out. Virtual tabletop. Yep. So digital tools can make a huge difference in how a game gets accepted and how a game is played by the community. And, you know, in looking at all the digital tools over all the editions so far, I can't say enough about one of the best examples of the digital tools, and that's D&D Beyond. Um, when, when it was first announced, I treated it like I treat most things that, I just don't know about. I go in with an attitude of hoping for the best, but expecting the worst. And D D and D beyond has turned out to be a lifesaver for me as a game designer. And more recently as a DM and a player, and I'm still just getting into some of the features. I haven't even uh, tried some features that I think will also be just as good as the features I do use. Uh, so with that, let's talk about D and D beyond. All right. So, the, the first thing is that they're made by Curse. Now, who is Curse? Uh, Curse is a giant company on the video game side of things. And this is what they believe as a company. Gaming is more than a hobby. It's a lifestyle. They create sites, tournaments, and tools to enrich the largest and most passionate gaming communities. Now, mm -hmm. 
they have like they 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 sponsor esport teams like for like Counter Strike Go and League of Legends and uh, and Defense of the Ancients. They uh, they make mods for all kinds all of those games plus things like World of Warcraft and a bunch of other MMORPGs things like that. And that's kind of what they do. So the um the first thing I want to say is like thank God Botsy decided to go find somebody that knew what they were doing to make a tool set. Mm-hmm. And then they found those people and they were interested in doing it, but then they taught them the game and let those people use their experience and skills. And these are like millions and millions of people use these tools all the time that they make uh, and give them feedback and stuff like that. So they, they their experience. So then they were like, well, we'll make a thing for Dungeons and Dragons that do a whole bunch of cool stuff. So that is who Curse Gaming is or mm-hmm. curses. Uh, so right off the bat, it's, and- it's, it's a really solid company that knows what they're doing that made this stuff so and am i wrong in thinking that curse is actually owned by amazon i don't remember if they got bought by them or not I, I'm, I'm not actually sure okay. i'd have to fact check that yeah i'm fairly sure that is the case but i i can't say with 100 percent certainty so you know that can't hurt to have that sort of backing yeah right absolutely um so let's now talk about D D beyond Right, like so. What is what mm-hmm. is on D and D Beyond? I mean, we could we could talk a little bit about um, how this stuff will affect how this stuff is affected, and will probably continue to affect things. But here's all the stuff that is on D and D Beyond. So there's like a character builder and keeper, and like the, the character creation software is pretty solid. I, I like it a lot. Uh, have you oh, yeah. have you built characters in it? All only like a hundred. Only like a hundred. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's really cool. Like the there's a lot of ways to to mess with and modify and things like that in there, mm-hmm. which I like a lot. There is a compendium, and the compendium has pretty much the entire game in it, right? Like, and you can so like there's spells that are sorted by class. You can also make spells in there for like homebrew type stuff. There's items sorted mm-hmm. by type, which you can also make them. Like most of the stuff, you could, there's a homebrew function for it. Um, mm-hmm. There's the adventures. All the adventure books are in there that you can just purchase, and like it, it's all the stuff is in there, and all the all the things that came along with those books will be in the in your account, which is which is very nice. Um, mm-hmm. Every monster in the game is in there, and a bunch of homebrew stuff from different people, so, and you could search all the homebrew monsters, which is crazy to me, right? So that's like two different right. databases of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, of course, like I said, you have to have digitally bought the book with any of the stuff in it to access it. Uh, there are forums right. that you can go to and like interact with the community that way if you want to, and you know it's got like news and announcements, D and D beyond feedback. There's a thing for bugs and support. There's like you know all of it, streams, videos, arts, crafts, whatever. Like it's it's a pretty pretty robust forum section. And then there's all the articles now that they constantly are publishing, which is uh, pretty much headed by James Hake, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Todd Kendrick, I think, is in charge of it. Uh, but James is one of the most prolific uh, creators of content for that articles part. Yeah, and here are the the classes of articles that go in there. There's a class guide section. There's DM tips. There's D and D lore. There's running monsters. There's spell spotlights. There's a bunch of video content. They have critical role recaps, and these are cool because mm-hmm. there are recaps in the show which are hidden in spoiler boxes. But beyond that, James writes about tips to pull from the episodes that you can use in your own role playing games. So he's essentially mm-hmm. breaking down the crew from Critical Role and Matt Mercer and being like, well, this is what they did, and this is how you can apply it to your, your play if you want to. Yep. And then there's the Encounter of yep. the Week by James Hake, too. Yeah. And they, they're adding, you know, they add new stuff constantly in, in that article's part. So that, 
yeah, it's it's a great resource, and it's something that we've talked about a lot. We've for our announcement section have you know pulled the the best articles out, or at least articles that we liked out to uh, to talk about. Mm-hmm, absolutely, and and it is it is constant. Like there's stuff um, almost every day, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I think they might take holidays off in the weekends, maybe, <laughs> possibly. No, there, there there is a steady stream of of content coming for sure. Yeah, I mean, like Mike Shea's been on there. That's where he picked up those those articles about um about theater of the mind and stuff, right? And yep. abstract maps and yep. such. So, yep. I mean, and like, James Tricasso's added it's some. Just, just it's just constant information. It is pretty much the centralized place to go to for D and D information these days. Yep. So if you are a a designer like I am, or at least you know create your own content and and need to reference things quickly, this tool is incredible yeah you can do a search on whatever topic you want and you get a full listing of in from all the books that that you've purchased uh what what's where so if you're looking for information on the eye of vecna you can type in eye of vecna and it's going to bring up not only it uh from the dungeon master's guide in the artifact section but you're also going to see it's if it gets mentioned in any of the adventures or any of the other supplements that have been put out yeah, and let's let's dive into that a little bit more because it's it's worth talking about. Like you can go to the website and check it out, but some of the some of the coolest things I think are the um the filters that you can apply mm-hmm. to this stuff. So like I'm looking at the monster page right now. So across yep. the top it has you can click on all monsters, or you can click on a category of monsters, so like celestial or construct, fey, etc. Uh you mm-hmm. can just put the monster name in if you want. You can sort it by challenge rating, you can sort it by size, you can sort it by environment, you can sort it by alignment, armor class range, average hit point range. There's senses if you want things that see in the dark, um, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, like, do they have a lair? Uh, what what kind of resistances they have? Their movement types. If you want only monsters that can swim or fly, like you can stick that in there. Uh, if you yep. only want monsters from a certain book, you can stick that in there. And that's super important if you're creating content, say, on the DMs Guild, or if you're creating OGL content, because if you're only using monsters from the basic rules. Yes. Then you can just click in the source uh, basic rules and you'll get the list of monsters that you can choose from. Yeah, I'm actually doing that right now because yep. it's it's worth doing. I had to do a bunch of that, right? Like because I don't I don't actually actually don't own anything on on D&D Beyond because, you know, poor. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's the thing, like I'm perfectly fine with them having the same price structure for this digital content as the books see a bunch of people will probably argue with me about that right but as we mentioned before and it's it's worth mentioning again like they're in book format but that's not really what you're paying for you're paying for the game and the information Mm -hmm. uh, and the development and all that stuff like the printing cost of those books is probably like three or four bucks at this point uh, because of how Mm -hmm. much they mass produce them I, i could be wrong about that it might be five i don't know sean like when you i'm not sure what a print run of 10,000 hard copy books is yeah, you you have more knowledge of that than I yeah, do. I'm, so if I'm going to hardcover print run fifty th- or ten thousand books or twenty thousand books, it's they're they're probably a unit price of like from China, probably a unit price of like three or four, three to five dollars somewhere in there. I would imagine mm-hmm. that'd be my best guess based on the numbers that I've seen so far on that stuff. So mm-hmm. you, that's what you're actually you're not actually paying for the for the what it costs to copy the book. You're paying for all the information inside of it, everybody. Um, mm-hmm. So. Hence, if it's a digital tool, you're paying for all the information inside of the digital tool. That is actually what you're paying for. Because all the art's in there, too, right? All the monster art is on the pages. 
Yes, it is. So I think that's pretty neat. Um, so yeah, it's super sortable. It's, it's searchable. It's it, I love the monsters because they come up and, and they're cut. And they're copyable, right? Like I can go copy it, like the, mm-hmm. the text when it pulls up and paste it into a text document because you know that's important. One, if you're a writer. Two, if you want to have that stuff for um for your game and you like to have stuff on paper. Um, I yep. I've also used the tool uh at the table on my laptop. I just open up a bunch of tabs with a bunch of different monsters up on the different yep. tabs, and I can just click back and forth between the tabs. Yeah, it's uh. Yeah, it's super handy to do that. Um, you know, w- if I'm writing an adventure and I know I'm writing for eighth level characters, and I need a particular monster, like you said, that maybe has blind sight, I'll just put in the challenge rating between four and eight. Uh, click that blind sight, do a search. There's boom. There's all the monsters that have those. Save me so much time rather than pouring through the book um, time after time. I agree. Uh... It's just it's it's a wonderful tool. Um, that's mm-hmm. that's the best I can say about it as far as as far as that. It's a great database, very searchable, user friendly. I think I feel it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and yeah. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. What are you going to say? Well, I was going to switch gears and say you know I've I've used it for for probably a couple of years now mm-hmm. as 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 a tool for work, and I finally switched over in my tomb of annihilation campaign to using it to run the game by so i don't even bring the, the hardcover now i run it straight out of D beyond like you said have different uh windows or tabs up for the monsters i need you can hover over a monster in the adventure and get the stats for it that's great um, that's super useful right which is super handy um same thing with magic items same thing a click away you know Right click, uh, open a new page, boom! You've got the, all the stats for the the um, magic item right there, or all the stats for the monster, or whatever. Um, same thing with maps. You can hover over a map or click on a map and bring it up in a different window. Um, so I can take my my pad uh, and set it down on the table and show them a picture of the monster, show them the map, um, or at least a player version of the map. Show player handouts, uh, all of that stuff. And if you uh, are a subscriber at a certain level, if you create a campaign, your use your players can create monster create um, characters in your campaign, even if they are not subscribers to D and D Beyond. It's true. I'm not, so, I'm not sure how I feel about that as a subscription model. Uh, do you find it to be useful? Useful, oh, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. None of none of my players are subscribers to D and D Beyond, but they can all go in and create up to I think like four characters. I'm I'm not sure the exact number uh, in my campaign with everything that I've purchased. So, what does that do for them at the table and for you at the table? So, for them at the table, they can use um, the character sheet in real time. Oh, so they can use your account to access their character sheets, right? That's including neat. all the rules that I paid for. Oh, that's even that's that's fantastic, right? Like, right. okay, that's way cooler yeah, than so, I thought it was. Right. So if they want to create a monster, you know, a character using uh, the Sword Coast Adventurers Guide rules, plus rules from Volos, plus rules from here, they can do the, all of that. Nice, as long as it's in your campaign. 
as long as it's in my campaign. Exactly. Love it. And what's great about these sheets is, you know, normally you end a session, say you end a session, but they ha- they're not taking a long rest. They're not even taking a short rest. You just had to stop. Everything is saved. You know, how many spells they use that you can just, you click spell slot, use, boom, it's saved right there. So when you come back next session, you don't have to flip through sheets or notes or anything. It's all right there. Oh, look, we, we, we had that one short rest. I've used six hit dice and I've used four key points and I've used these spell slots and it's all there. And I can go in and look at that uh, as the DM, look at their characters to see where they stand. I, uh, I, that is, yeah, that's amazing, right? Like, yes, that's, it's highly useful. I, I've never right. bought any of the adventures, so I think that is really, really clever. I like that a lot, right? Like, that is, um, man, I've been talking about hyperlink PDS, but this is apparently just that, but it's really just a digital copy of the adventure on the site that you can, like, that's got a bunch of hyperlinks on it, right? Yep. Boss, oh, so good. That's so good. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, for the last maybe four sessions of my tomb of annihilation campaign. Uh, I had the character, I had the players make char- their characters in there and it's been so nice. I love that. Um, what other features can you pull out maybe from the adventures or that, the, the having the characters right into the, uh, into your account? Uh, you can type into your campaign, either private notes or public notes. So at the end of a session, I can come home or even while I'm at the table and create a note saying privately, remember that this character is under this curse and will be so until for one hour or until it's removed. And then I can make public facing notes saying, uh, you know, this NPC says this, you know, reminding you that in the next session, that puzzle that you didn't quite finish before is still there and here's a clue for it. So it's there's a communication tool involved as well. Love it. Totally love it, mm-hmm. right? Um, so here's a interesting question that I have. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I sort of have a weird um weird thought about is like the hardcover book and the digital tool. Like if I want a player's handbook for both of them, I have to buy them both. I feel like mm-hmm. it was kind of Interesting that they didn't offer like a discount for one if you have the other. Yeah, it's that's always been something that I I'm all for, you know, if you buy the book, get the PDF for free Mm -hmm. or even even at a you know, discount. Yeah. To me, this um, isn't exactly the same because it's, exactly it's a different tool set. But I'm surprised that there's not like a discount for the other one. Like if I because before D&D Beyond existed, like honestly, I never would have bought a player's handbook. I just would have bought the D and D Beyond version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I haven't bought a hardcover of of a book in a while uh, because of because I, since I do work for Wizards, I uh, will often or for Bald Man Games would will get a free copy for running games or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't had to buy it, but I would buy everything on D and D Beyond if I did not get uh, hardcovers. Uh, freely yeah me, me too like that's that's my point like it's just it's yeah. it was a little sad that when they're like yeah D beyond's a thing and then you still have to go back and i guess the player's handbook the dungeon master's guide and the monster Manual are cheaper these days yeah you can get them on you know on amazon for a fraction of the price well, of i was more concerned about the D beyond versions i haven't looked oh. at the cost of them in the in that's, recent that, times that's a good question i'm gonna look right now 
Okay. And well, while you're looking, one of the things I was going to add was uh, I am super impressed not only with the product, but with how the developers of the product communicate and get into the world of D&D. Uh, every week on Twitch, Adam Bradford does a weekly dev update where he literally goes through D&D Beyond's Jira feature roadmap. That's cool. And shows the screen and says, you know, here's here's where we are with creating the uh, mobile version of the character sheet. Because right now, your your best way to to do it is um, via a browser. Mm-hmm. But there are, they do have a mobile app for certain things, and they're um, continuing to def- redefine and uh, upgrade what's available through that m- mobile app. And so, every week you can go to. Uh, twitch.tv slash D beyond and see what they're working on and they'll share they'll share information like what's the most read uh character class what's the most read character race what's the most selected character class what's the most selected character race you know information like that that they've gleaned from use they share freely with with the community so i went and looked up the prices they're much cheaper. Mm-hmm. Well, not much cheaper because you can get it on Amazon for pretty cheap. But the, like the player's handbook's thirty bucks. The Dungeon Master's right. Guide's thirty bucks. All, pretty much all the, the the hardcover books that you would assume are thirty dollars or thirty dollars. But like Dungeon of the Mad Mage mm-hmm. is only twenty five. Mm-hmm. Um, so is Curse of Strahd, right? Like those adventure books. So that's actually cheaper. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're trying to yep. push towards that. I don't know. Could be. And and it's you know it's it's just you know to sum up basically it's really a great tool. And I understand that not everyone can afford it or has can have access to the technology to run it. That is true. Uh, but if 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 it's something that you can afford and you are um, you know into the technology, it is far and away the best tool I've seen. Period uh, for any D and D based game. Well, I assume if you can afford the hardcover books for D&D, then you can probably afford this stuff, right? Yeah. So, I mean, like, maybe I could be wrong about that. I mean, I know some people just prefer... Yeah. I mean, you're... T- I know some people just prefer books, right? Right. I mean, you're talking to a kid who only had the first edition books because I pulled them out of a garbage. Yeah. Right. I, would have, I, would have nev- I would never have been able to afford them. So, so I understand... Uh, not being able to. Yeah, and and the cool thing about the D and D Beyond stuff is like even with the the not having anything purchased on it, you still have access to all the basic stuff, and yep. you can still make a character on there. Right, you still have access to the articles. Yep, right? and you, you still, still have access, have to, the access to the forums. Yep. So so it's, it's still a tool, even if you're not paying for it, uh, that you can use. Uh, so here, I'm gonna ask you one more question before we get out of here. What do you think the effect of Alrighty. these digital products are on on like gaming and and D and D going forward? Like they're pretty handy. Obviously, you, we've you've heard everyone who's listening has heard how Sean is like pretty much switched over completely to the digital side of things. Yeah, I I think the effect is that it gives players, DMs, you know, enthusiasts of the hobby easier access to to the content as well as a way to consume it that many people are more comfortable or familiar with than books uh it's it's one thing to 
by the player's handbook, sit down and on a piece of paper create a character as opposed to creating a character using a tool like this. It makes it more accessible and easier to understand in a lot of ways for a lot of people. I, I can go to a convention now with my iPad and run games all day long. Whereas before I would have a, literally a suitcase full of books. Yeah. Right. That, that, I, that I needed. Um, even that has, you know, even that makes the game more accessible. I used to love the fourth edition tool set that they had because I love the character builder. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And there was an encounter builder too on there, if I remember correctly. Yep. That was pretty yep. effective. Um, I mean, between Cobalt Fight Club, which is a great tool, by the way. Love that thing. Oh, yeah, that is that is great. Between that and, and this, uh, I don't know, man. Like, it's it's never been easier to utilize this, mm-hmm. the digital stuff. Like, uh, the one thing is that you have to have a Twitch account because it's tied into Twitch. So that's True. that's a thing. Uh, so Right. That's, it's free. It's but. free. But, you know, like, uh, once again, you have to have an account for something. That's fine. Like, I mean, I, I, I would assume that you'd have to have an account for this even if it wasn't a Twitch account, right? So who cares? Like, you, Right. You'd have to have a different account. Yeah, right. a different account. So I'm perfectly fine with it being tied into Twitch, for me anyway. I mean, I, I could see some people not being okay with that. I don't see why. Um, if somebody could give me a reason, I'd be interested in hearing it. But, yeah, I think... Uh, I'm with you. Like this is this makes it easier than it's ever been. Like there's it's just like lots of pick lists and drop down menus and whatnot. It is it's easy enough to get the information these days, like just go and click it and buy it, right? Like I, I can I know that people have a thing still with like I like to purchase something and have the physical thing. But but the world is sort mm-hmm. of straying away from that, right? Um Right. And and you still can. It's just that's that's the way things are, are turning. Yeah. So I'm yeah. I'm very much uh, impressed and pleased and happy that this stuff exists that we can utilize at the table and that they're they haven't abandoned the other side of it either yet. Mm-hmm. I'll say yet because they might at some point. <laughs> well, it, yeah, if it's cheaper to do to make something a certain way, that will be the way it's made. Yeah. Right. Uh, I mean, if the sales of the digital stuff ever start like really exceeding uh, exceeding outseeding exceeding the. Uh, the the physical stuff i mean you would probably see the switch right like i mean you wouldn't see it completely because they would still make deluxe things because that's a thing right deluxe deluxe editions mm-hmm. of books and whatnot like that is still a thing that people tend to buy right. but yeah, yeah. The, the ebook thing is useful and i i think i think that that's where it's going to trend like there'll still be physical stuff but there'll probably be less of it in the future mm-hmm. all right well i guess anything else you want to say uh not at this time Oh, I think. Okay. <laughs> no, I just had an idea go through my head, but I, I'm not ready to talk about it yet. So that's fair. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna end there. All right, let's do some Patreon shoutouts then. Uh, Dennis Malloy, Jared yes. Rasher, Mike Amer, The Rainmaker, Richard Wayne, Sean P. Kelly, Austin Lemke, Blaze A. Bear, Chelsea Clark, Dan Simons, David Walker, Donahue McCarthy, Ruta uh, Huto Rutilla. I, I never know if I'm saying that name right. If I'm not, please let me know so I can get it right. M.T. Black, Matthew Pezzarelli, Nate Brooms, Remy Bilodeau, Rob Bush, Robert Aducci, Robert Day, Ryan Bolter, The Space Rhino, Steve Bissonette, The Closet Gamer, Glenn Seiler, Jason Pitt, Jean Lorbert, Jeff Stevens, Jim Morrison, John Just John, Troy Pitchelman, Timai, uh, uh, I think I'm missing a letter there, Taime Okoye, Wayne Peterson, Drew Smith, Evil Rich, Troy E. Taylor, and Thomas Hook. 
thank you so much for being our patrons. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website. And for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes and access to our Misdirected Mark Slack Room for Life, where you can chat with us whenever you so choose. Uh-huh. All you have to do is at Sean or at Chris in there. We'll come a-running. If you can't help yes, us monetarily, will. but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. Those help even if you're not listening to the Apple Podcasts, since many other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts as a way to rate and rank shows, and that makes us more visible. So, Sean, where can we find you on the Internet? Uh, the best place to find me is on Twitter, at Sean Merwin. Or if you want to talk with the Mad Wizard, you can go to Menag- at Menagerie Wizard. And the Down with D&D, the Down with D&D G Plus community is still there. Yeah, it's still there. Hanging on by a thread. It's ticking away. It's just, there's tick, tick, tick. You can feel the yep. sword of Damocles hanging over its head, right? <laughs> it's true. How about you, Chris? Where can we find you on the internet? Uh, at Misdirected Mark is the sh- network and the show Twitter these days. Um, you can we'll, we'll hashtag D&D up there all the time constantly if we need to also or you can just go to the website where you can catch other great shows such as this one Bone, Stone, and Obsidian Wayne and Robert take monthly deep dives into the Dark Sun setting and discuss it across all editions of D&D Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production the media arm of Encoded Design so what are we going to do now Sean? We're going to go kill some nicely sorted digital monsters. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D?